to Menu Feed, a bi-weekly podcast from Winsight Media's two food service brands, Restaurant Business and Food Service Director. I'm Pat Kobe, Senior Editor covering Menu, Food, and Drink for both brands. During each episode of Menu Feed, we take a close look at the culinary trends shaping today's menus. Operators, chefs, and industry experts will share their thoughts on the flavors, ingredients, cuisines, and consumer demands driving menu innovation and development. Today, I'm sitting down with Lizzie Fryer, Senior Managing Editor of Technomic, to talk about menu trends. Digging into Technomic research, we'll explore what's happening on menus right now then look ahead to the flavors, ingredients, and cuisines that will impact menus in 2020. So Lizzie, now that we're more than halfway through 2019, I bet everyone is curious about what trends will be impacting menus in 2020. So let's start with the mega trends. Like what's defining healthy eating right now? Yeah, so I mean, People's definitions of health are constantly changing. In fact, about a third of consumers today say that they're eating food more now because of its specific nutritional benefits than they were just two years ago. So what that means is we're seeing a lot of trendy diets coming up, like the paleo diet, the keto diet, Whole30, things like that. Not only just through social media, and that's where people find out a lot about these diets, but we're also seeing operators jumping on board too by taking offerings that often they already actually have on their menu and then promoting them with keto or paleo in mind. Um, Another component of health uh, that's going on right now is uh, obviously plant-based and that's kind of impacting a lot of different aspects of the menu with uh, plant-based milks being a big part of that. Uh, We've seen seed milks and nut milks kind of take hold. Oat milks are a big one kind of coming up. And then fruit and vegetable based milks are another one kind of coming up in the independent restaurant space that I foresee actually being big on places like kids menus going forward. Cool. And how about functionality? That's something that we mentioned in 2019, but how will that move forward in 2020? Functionality is still a huge thing, still something that consumers are looking for. They're looking to uh, a food and beverage to provide a lot of those health components that they're looking for on a regular basis. So um, it's kind of moving away, or not away necessarily, but moving toward this idea of natural enhancements, meaning like ingredients that enhance something in the body naturally, even things that don't necessarily need fixing. So uh, we're talking about ingredients that provide benefits to physical, mental, and emotional health. So think of an ingredient like CBD, which is, you know, the non-psychoactive component of cannabis that's said to promote relaxation and relieve stress. And it's interesting that consumers are actually looking to food and beverage to provide those types of benefits now. That's not something that we may have seen, you know, years ago. Right. Well, ethnic cuisines are, you know, continuing to influence menu development in every segment from QSR all the way up to fine dining, and especially um, Asian and Middle Eastern cuisines. So last year, we were talking a lot about the emergence of Asian island cuisine. What's trending now with Asian food? I think we're still starting to see Asian island cuisine kind of coming up a bit more in the chain restaurant space. Filipino food, Singaporean hawker center food is still quite a big hit. But interestingly, I kind of see 
you know, a reverting back to the classics. So Chinese food and Japanese food were really the places where consumers in the U.S. were first introduced to Asian cuisine. And a lot of the ingredients that are popping up now, those seasonings, spices, and sauces that are really taking hold in uh, kind of the independent restaurant space moving into emerging chains, is those modernized versions of Chinese and Japanese favorites. So as we move into 2020, what are some of the specific Japanese and Chinese seasonings and ingredients that are moving into the mainstream? Into the mainstream, togarashi is a big one, uh, as well as furikake. Um, so both of those are um, you know, condiments that you can really basically add to anything. A lot of times we're seeing it incorporated onto vegetables to kind of add a little bit of flair to a traditional vegetable. Um, probably more so in the independent restaurant space. We're seeing ingredients like Chinese chili crisp, which is a garlicky, spicy, crunchy condiment um, being featured on really anything from meatballs to noodles and even in ice cream as kind of like a funky little application. Um, and gomashio, which is a dry Japanese seasoning blend. We're seeing that coming up more and more as well. Uh, and then for uh, a specific condiment, yuzu kosho is one of the ones that everyone's really talking about right now. Um, it's a fermented Japanese condiment made from yuzu citrus rind, um, chili peppers, and salt. So it has that kind of umami enhancement, but also a lot of those sour flavors as well. Everyone knows yuzu has been kind of incredibly popular moving into the mainstream. I think yuzu kosho is going to have a lot more applications beyond those tradi traditional Japanese applications. So are these condiments and seasonings fairly easy to source or are people making them in-house? I think a lot of the time you're seeing people making them in-house. Um, if it's a seasoning blend, definitely a lot of these can be made from ingredients that you already have on hand. Um, but I think for the most part, we're seeing operators taking things that they have in their kitchens, um, kind of incorporating them together, and then featuring them on dishes that consumers are familiar with. Because if you're offering something like chili crisp, sure, you might have you know, garlic and um, you know, chili peppers on hand, but most consumers have never heard of something like chili crisp. So putting it on something like fried chicken or meatballs makes that dish much more approachable. Yeah, for sure. And so Asian influences are showing up in the beverage category, too. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. Um, in the cocktail space, we've seen a lot of really interesting um, fruits and vegetables kind of taking hold uh, coming out of Asia. Ume is one of them. It's a sour Japanese plum-like fruit. Um, it, it's usually being applied to something like a tequila cocktail. Um, but that's one that we're watching. Ube, which is uh, basically like a sweet potato, but it's a purple mm -hmm. potato. Um, kind of similar to ume, provides that beautiful purple color that makes the drink very Instagrammable. Um, ube is very prominent in Filipino desserts. So now we're starting to see interesting applications in the cocktail space. And then sea vegetables. I mean, seaweed has really taken over a lot of really interesting aspects of the menu. We've seen a lot of seaweed snacks taking hold in the retail space. And now we're seeing seaweed, um, um, a lot of different kelp, kombu, things like that being included in uh, cocktails as kind of that salty umami kick. 
Yeah, when I was at the fancy food show in June, there was a lot of seaweed at, you know, being shown at different booths, both as snacks and in beverages. So it's definitely something that's trending on the retail side right now. Yeah, I mean, it's that umami thing, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody wants those umami flavors. And of course, that falls into that whole plant-based movement. So people are finding that to right. be a healthier snack. Yeah, cool. So Middle Eastern is another trending cuisine. Um, what do you see happening in Middle Eastern now and what countries are contributing to some of the ingredients and flavors that are appearing on menus? Yeah, Middle Eastern cuisine is really hot right now. I think it's kind of an extension on the really popular Mediterranean cuisine that we've been noticing as of late. Recently, Israeli cuisine has probably had the biggest momentum. Um, so as part of that, consumers are now interested in the surrounding countries of Israel. So think um, Lebanese cuisine, Syrian cuisine, Turkish cuisine. Um, there's a lot of really unique flavor elements coming out of this region, um, which we call the Levant. So Levantine cuisine is very hot right now, and it's something that we're starting to see take hold um, in more and more uh, mainstream restaurants. Right, and it's uh, inherently healthy because a lot of the dishes are vegetable-centric vegetable or plant-forward. So I think that's another reason it's catching on. Absolutely. So what are some of the specific ingredients and applications from the Middle East that you see hitting mainstream menus? Everyone knows chickpeas, obviously. Hummus mm -hmm. has, you know, had, had quite a moment over the past couple of years. So what we're seeing with chickpeas in particular is finding momentum in new applications, particularly dessert applications, somewhere where you might not otherwise have been able to think about chickpeas, but mm -hmm. because they are such a blank palette, they're able to absorb other flavors really nicely. So we're seeing things like chocolate hummus taking hold in the K through 12 space, as well as in some um, Mediterranean restaurants, even chickpea ice cream, uh, Little Bean out of Portland, is one of the places that um, uses chickpea as a base for their ice cream. So um, obviously provides a dairy-free option, but um, you know that kind of takes the whole trend outside of just the Levantine inspirations and just takes the Levantine ingredient into totally new applications. Yeah, definitely. So <clears throat> you know, moving from the Levant, um, Turkey is kind of the bridge to the Balkans, and some chefs are looking at the Balkan region for culinary inspiration. So is that something you see going forward into 2020? And what, what are some of the flavors, flavors and preparations that might characterize Balkan cuisine? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think when it comes to ethnic cuisines that tend to find a lot of momentum in the US, it often comes from where tourism is growing. It just so happens that tourism in Israel from Americans actually peaked last year. Similarly, tourism in places like Croatia also peaked. So what consumers are doing is they're going to Israel, they're going to Croatia, they're enjoying the foods and drinks over there, and then they're coming home and they're wanting to see those flavors at their local restaurants. So as a result, that's why we've seen Israeli cuisine coming up more and more. And that's why Croatian cuisine and other Balkan cuisines, Romanian, Macedonian, things like that, are starting to come up more and more as well. Um, as far as some of the flavors finding momentum, this is definitely more an independent restaurant space type of thing, but with opportunity to move more um, kind of into the mainstream in the coming years. Lovage is one of them. 
Um, it's a plant that has a lot of um, flavoring similar to celery, but the stalk can be used, the, um, the leaves can be used, so it's kind of a, a full plant thing. Um, it's quintessentially English, but it's um, very prominently found in Romanian and Bulgarian cooking. Mm -hmm. Another one is Ajvar. So Ajvar is a Serbian uh, roasted red pepper and eggplant dip. It's very similar to muhamara, which is another trending ingredient. Um, and it, it's Syrian, and it, it has a roasted red pepper and walnut, so a lot of similar flavorings there. Um, but these these are simple little uh, ingredients, a sauce and an herb or a vegetable that you can add to an otherwise pretty common dish to make it a little bit more interesting and unique. Right. And we mentioned a lot that in order to get consumers to buy in, it's really good to use these more exotic condiments and spices on a sandwich or a salad or something that's really familiar to them. Absolutely. A lot of times you'll see that these funky exotic ingredients that'll be in something that most consumers are already very familiar with. Mm -hmm. That's why you see such funky ice cream flavors out there all the time. Right. So going on, um, we want to try a quick fire round to discover what the next big thing might be, which is, you know, something every operator wants to know to stay ahead of the competition. So I will say, what's the next? And you fill in the blank, Lizzie. Great. How does that sound? <laughs> So, consumers continue to crave hot and spicy flavors like sriracha, which ruled for a really long time, and then it was gochujang. So, what would you think is the next gochujang or the next hot and spicy condiment? Oh my gosh, so many different opportunities come to mind. Um, I already mentioned Chinese chili crisp, but I think that that has a lot of potential. It is spicy, but it's also garlicky, and it has a little bit of crunch. So I can see that condiment being featured on anything from noodles to fried chicken, and we've even some, seen some ice cream applications. Mm -hmm. I know sriracha eventually got into that movement too, right. being featured in beverages. Um, another possibility, I think, is palapa. So this is a Filipino condiment. It's got chili peppers and coconut flakes in it, so it has a little bit of sweet heat. Hmm. Um, but I think that's the interesting part about gochujang and about sriracha is that it's not just that straight chili pepper heat. There's a lot of different nuances of flavors incorporated into there, which makes them so interesting. Right. But I don't think sriracha and gochujang are going to disappear from menus because people really crave them now. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Not going away anytime soon. <laughs> so how about that millennial favorite avocado toast? What do you think is the next avocado toast? Well, keeping in mind the fact that avocado toast is just a simple handheld, not a lot of ingredients, and highly flavorful, I think the next avocado toast is the katsu sando. So this has been all over menus, um, especially in the independent restaurant space, but we've also seen different iterations in places like Shake Shack and a lot of your um, full-service varied menu concepts as well. Mm -hmm. Um, the katsu sando is basically Japan's answer to the American bologna sandwich. <laughs> it's milk bread, um, a panko breaded pork cutlet, tonkatsu sauce, which is basically Japanese barbecue sauce. So very umami driven ingredients. It's a simple handheld, just a couple ingredients, and it can be customizable, which is a huge aspect of the avocado toast trend. You can put a lot of different ingredients mm -hmm. on it. You can make it more breakfasty. You can make it more lunchy. And I think that's kind of the 
cool thing about katsu sandos. Uh, Shake Shack put a little bit of a breakfast twist on it by doing a katsu egg sando. So instead of mm -hmm. a panko breaded pork cutlet, they did panko breaded egg. So there's a lot of different ways that that can kind of be featured on the menu. I think that that's going to be one we're going to see more and more of. Right, and because it's kind of a grab-and-go item, you don't need a knife and fork like you might need for avocado toast, so it's probably going to have a lot of appeal that way. Exactly. If there's an egg on it, it's going to be a yeah. little tricky yeah. to take to go. Well, put an egg on it and everybody loves it immediately. Also true. <laughs> so um, let's not forget that Instagram favorite, the glittery unicorn frappuccino. So what do you think is the next platform for sparkle and glitter? So I think the next sparkle and glitter is something like the butterfly pea flower extract, right? So if we're talking about Instagram, obviously things, you know, like glitter beer and rainbow bagels and that tie-dye frappuccino that's been so mm -hmm. incredibly popular over the past couple mm -hmm. days from Starbucks, they look good through a single snapshot. But Instagram and Facebook are changing, and now it's not just about what looks good through a single snapshot, it's about what looks good through a video. The butterfly pea flower extract kind of makes a video really come alive. So when that extract meets something like citrus, it changes the pH level and it changes the color of a drink. So it makes something look like a magical kind of effect. Um, typically in a drink, it goes from a light pink to a darker blue. Um, so that's kind of an interesting way to incorporate it. We've already actually started to see some chain restaurants like Yard House featuring butterfly pea flower in a margarita and calling it a magic margarita, mm -hmm. and obviously utilizing that to the best of their capabilities on their social media. That sounds really cool. Yeah. Okay, last but not least, what's the next mind-blowing ingredient, and where do you see that going? I think we've got to talk about marijuana, right? <laughs> right. I mean, obviously, regulations are changing. Legislation is different in every individual um, state, but CBD is the biggest thing that, you know, a lot of aspects of food service are talking about right now. Um, we're seeing everything from Carl's Jr. testing out CBD incorporated into a sauce and putting that on a burger at some of their Denver locations, CBD enhanced coffee. So uh, this has been really prominent in a couple different states. But, you know, a lot of states are pulling back their laws. Pairing CBD is not technically legal at the federal level. So I think people are just trying to figure that out right now. But beyond CBD, you know, in places like California featuring THC, um, it's probably the next step. But first, we have to kind of tackle CBD first, trying to understand how that non-psychoactive component of cannabis can really be utilized and how it can be marketed to the consumer um, I think that'll be the next big mind-blowing thing that everyone's still going to continue to talk about over the coming years. Well, we'll all stay tuned and find out what's happening next in that realm. Thanks, Lizzie. Those were great insights. Join us next time to delve into more menu trends that will help you stay ahead of the curve.